Hello, welcome, and kumusta? My name is How. I am your occupational therapist. In this episode, we will talk about our need to define the occupational therapist's core input. So I'd like to start the uh, episode by asking you guys whether you agree or disagree. So ag- agree or disagree that occupational therapist or occupational therapy is an autonomous profession with its own legal regulatory body. Agree, of course. Agree or disagree. OT is a profession of equal importance to other allied health professionals. Yes, of course, we are of equal importance. Of course, as an occupational therapist, I would like to say we are better. But then, that's me being biased. So, let's go on the equality side. So, we are all equal. And agree or disagree, occupational therapists can set up a private practice like physiotherapists. Ooh, it seems to have gone quiet. People have become very doubtful. Okay, of course, you have to agree. Yes, we can. You know, we can also set up private practice. The challenge why we cannot do private practice at the moment is because the biggest competitor is free, isn't it? NHS, social services, occupational therapy can be accessed for free. And that is why it is very difficult to set up a private practice. But even so, say we can, and I know we can. What does it take to put up a practice? Okay. There are two basic things, or actually three. One, first and foremost, the most important thing for you to set up a your own practice, you need to have courage. Okay? Now, you cannot buy courage. You know, it is in there somewhere. Okay? The next thing that you need to do, and this will just take a little homework and some reading or some consultation, you just need to have know the legal requirement to set up a, a you know, a, a private practice. The legal requirement, the business requirement, all those permits. Because at the end of the day, when you set up your own practice, you will be taxed. And then the third thing that you need to do or you need to know is you need to have a clear definition of the service that you will be delivering. You need to be able to package the service. What is it that you're going to sell to the clients, to your customers? Okay, So you need to have a set package. Those are the three things. Technically, it's very easy, isn't it? Courage, that's most difficult, you know, whether you do it or not. But you cannot have courage unless you know what you really wanted to sell, okay? And in doing so, you need to have a package of your service, okay? Now, I would like to share with you, this is uh, while I was uh, in one of uh, my walks around town, I have seen a private physio and uh, private physio practice, 
you know and i've been looking at their uh, uh, their their billboard and their poster and uh, so i'd like to read you uh, to you i'd like to read to you some of the packages that they are charging for okay so it says in big capitals our treatments okay and this is all in a poster So one of the things that the physios would be charging for would be comprehensive assessment. Okay, so it's not just an assessment, guys. It is comprehensive assessment. And what they say is this on that uh, leaflet. On your first visit, the physiotherapist will ask you a number of questions relating to your condition and general health. This leads to a physical assessment of relevant body uh, areas and movements to identify the cause of your symptom. Okay? So, physical assessment. They will do an examination. So, the patient will come in. What's wrong? The patient say. And the patient says, Oh, hello. I, I tell you, my, uh, uh, I tell you my, my shoulder is painful. Okay, then the physio would say, let me examine that. Lift it up, lift it down, turn left, turn right, do internal rotation, external rotation. And then the physio would say, okay, I see that there is something wrong with your shoulder. Okay, but then the physio will charge for this, a comprehensive assessment. Okay, I mean, obviously, they might do some further request for, from an x-ray, you know, things like that. Uh, but, you know, palpation is going to take place. But yes, they will charge for comprehensive physical assessment. They will charge for muscle re-education and exercise prescription. Okay? So, you see, uh, your physical therapist may choose to instruct you in some home exercises which enhance muscle function and aid recovery. Wow! So, you see... And all these physio tools that you print out for free and you give to patients for free, and then the other private physios are just charging for it, okay? And patients will do it and they will pay for it because when it comes to a physiotherapist, it just feels more special, isn't it? They just won't download things from the internet. It's got to be spoken for or spoken by somebody of authority. Okay. Another of their treatment that they will charge for is mobilization and manipulation. Okay, what does this mean? Joints that have become stiff are inflexible or, or are inflexible can be treated using hands-on physiotherapy techniques. And this can range from gentle oscillatory, oscillatory mobilization to manipulation or thrust techniques. Yeah oscillatory man- mobilization what is that it means you shake you know the physio will shake the joints yeah and some thrust techniques you go start pushing the special thrust techniques it's not just thrusting this is not just pushing these are some thrust techniques there you go and soft tissue techniques as well and what are these soft tissue techniques that you will have to pay for? Soft tissue uh, include muscles, ligaments, tendons, and fascia. Physiotherapists are expert in assessing these tissues and can be used and can use various techniques to treat any dysfunction. Cool. So they'll pay for biomechanics/foot orthotics. 
Yes, that's very good. Okay, that's good. You know, finding ways, niche on how to charge for something, isn't it? Uh, here we go. Faulty biomechanics of the foot and ankle can cause pains within the foot, ankle, knee, hips, or spine. This can be treated with custom-made foot orthosis or insoles. There you go. So you see, you will complain of knee pain and then the physio has bought this product that will analyze it. Okay, you need an internal wedge, you need an arc support, okay? So really, uh, I would say basic because, you know, we're, we've all studied it, uh, but they've, that the public doesn't know about this, okay? So people, you can charge for insoles. There you go. Acupuncture. Ooh, this is more specialist, you know? Acupuncture, acupuncture can be used to reduce pain. So phys physiotherapists often administer acupuncture as an adjunct to other techniques, but it may also just be used in isolation. All right. Finally, you know, the adaptation of an Eastern tradition or an Eastern technique that they have found useful. And now they are using this. Okay, let's carry on. Um, Mo uh, postural correction and ergonomics. So what what is this? So you'll have to pay for postural correction. Okay. So poor posture, sustained positions, or repeated movements like work, leisure, or sport-related can cause pain. Your physiotherapist can help you improve your poor posture through advice and exercise. Yes. Okay. Electrotherapy. There we go. Electrotherapy, like ultrasound. <coughs> ultrasound is not electrotherapy. You know, who's that? Uncle Roger. I'm just going to quote Uncle Roger. You know, ultrasound is not electrotherapy. Okay, that's ultrasound. Uh, and TENS, uh, it sounds very special, isn't it? But I doubt a lot of people would know what TENS is, even the therapists. Okay, TENS stands for, for your information, trans... Uh, electric nerve stimulation transcutaneous there you go transcutaneous electric nerve stimulation nice isn't it it's just uh, electric nerve stimulation in the skin <laughs> okay but it's very posh tense it can help you alleviate pain and it can promote healing yes you can buy these tense machines out there out in Amazon again I'm not promoting it but then you can I remember back in the days, these are all guarded and protected items which were used to be care and they are considered medical devices and that only the uh, therapists can actually use them. But then they have now deregulated it and so now anybody who is a manufacturing, the manufacturers felt that there's not a lot of market here. So the manufacturers managed to just put it out in public, uh, name it differently and then they package it, you know, Abtone, for example, but it's technically the same. So that is that. Traction. Traction can be applied manually by a physiotherapist to give a stretch to the spine. Yes. Okay. So that is a, a uh, something, you know, that will alleviate uh, some impingements, really. But it's got to be done properly. So, yes, you can pay for that. Oh, this is one interesting one. Golf screening and rehabilitation. Wow. Here we go. Golf-specific assessments of the body can be done, right? Specialized rehabilitation aimed at improving one's golf can be prescribed. 
there you go. So technically, the physiotherapist will do an activity analysis of this swing and then they can give some advice and posture and it's all through activity analysis. Okay, guys, just to let you know, this can be done by an occupational therapist as well, you know, under the uh, aspect of leisure engagement, leisure performance and participation. Okay, because activity analysis is a part of our tool as well. We can actually do this as well as occupational therapists. Yeah, but you have to know your basic anatomy. Okay, remember that after university, you shouldn't just give up anatomy. Continue to learn it. Okay, when you qualified, doesn't mean you're exempt from learning that. You need to know the basic anatomy. Come on, occupational therapists. Right, Pilates. Going back. So Pilates is a core stability exercises that are useful for the recovery of many conditions. And Pilates-based exercises can be used either with one-to-one instruction or a class setting. Okay. So Pilates, again, another package thing that is technically some exercises, some yoga-based, and then they just named it Pilates. And then now, uh, nicely packaged. And then you cannot just deliver this unless you pay the class or you become an instructor or you have to you know get some tuition to become a pilates instructor okay the same with zumba okay you can't just do zumba because it's now a trademark name but it's all about dancing so at the end of the day guys it's all about packaging okay oh here's one interesting thing vestibular rehabilitation so physiotherapists can uh, dizziness. They say dizziness can have different etiologies. Ooh, big word for public to know. What is an etiology? Okay, some of which can be assessed with specific maneuvers or exercises. Okay, to quote in Uncle Roger. Hiya, hiya, it is vestibular rehabilitation. You can actually just look this up in YouTube. Okay, there are some maneuvers. Indeed, there are. So there are some maneuvers that are available. Uh, you can easily do this. But then, you know, there are people who are smart enough to try to package it to make money out of this. But well done. So occupational therapy provided to NHS. Then if, you're, if we are working with NHS... And this is one problem why it is difficult for us to be acknowledged by a lot of professions and even our boss and our trust even. We know we're there, but we don't know. But they they know we are there, but they don't know what we do. And we don't know what we do. Okay, So occupational therapy that is provided to NHS, it requires a defined service that should be transparent. Because at the end of the day, who is paying for the service? Okay? It's the public, isn't it? It is the patients through the public funds. They're the ones that are paying for the service. So they're entitled to have occupational therapy. Okay? But up to this day, and even as I speak now, if you look at most of the trust and the services out there, what information do we use to pay the public? Okay? We only pay them with information at the end of the day. So how do we how do we pay? Okay? Or how do we become transparent? 
what information do we give to the public? Okay? Basically, we give them the amount of time that we have provided, how much face-to-face and non-face-to-face. That's how, you know, the amount of time that is spent by with OT doesn't mean anything. It just meant that we have spent time with patients. And how much face-to-face and non-face-to-face, oh my God, the analysis of face-to-face and non-face-to-face interventions that I've come across with is just amazing, isn't it? Um, and then the number of new patients, okay? But then we need to be transparent about the things that we do. And this I call it the core input. What are the core, what's the core input? What is the core service, Okay. For me, the definition of this is that these are the services that are chargeable, services that has value, and that can be packaged and promoted. Okay, So knowing the core input then would minimize the duplication of the service and it would clearly define the roles and responsibilities of occupational therapy. Okay, So I have thought about this very seriously and uh, I am very confident about this you agree or you disagree but it's all there it's all written in text it's blatant and it's very obvious but you just do not want to package it well I have packaged it make it easy for you guys so the core input for OTs the things that we do there are basically three general categories The only things that we do is assessment. We do once we have assessed, we have we do treatment and intervention. So that's the second area of the things that we do. And then before you do the treatment, you identify these problems, you identify these goals with the patient and their family, and you do discharge planning. So anything that you do in NHS, in the hospital, perhaps in the community, definitely in the community as well, anything that you do, because you're a professional, it's just three major things. Assessment, problem identification and goal setting, and intervention. Okay? Now, when it comes to assessment, so there are actually 10 items. So this is where you can break things down. So the 10 items are, first, is you establish the pre-admission function of the patient, the occupational functioning, okay? See, even the physiotherapist, the one that I quoted to you earlier on, the one that I, I, I read to you or I mentioned earlier on, you know, thorough assessment, comprehensive assessment. So yes, so establishing pre-admission function is really very important. Because that's where you're going to be basing your uh, intervention, okay? Say, you have your car fixed, you go to a garage, and they do some diagnosis of what's wrong with your car. And then you say you don't want fixing. You know, they say, oh, I found out that there is something wrong with your car here, there, and everywhere. And then you say, yo, okay, I do not want it fixing. And then they say, okay, fine, I'll put it back together. You take the car home. But then they will charge you for the assessment, won't they? So if the car mechanics are charging for 
their service, how come you, as occupational therapist, would not be charging for establishing the baseline function? That is your assessment. So you have to charge for that. So that's one. The next thing that is a compounded assessment is the sensory perceptual cognitive motor assessment. Okay? So in general, this is technically neuroassessment, but you can break it down to specifics. Sensory assessment, perceptual assessment, cognitive assessment, and movement or motor assessment. Okay? So that's that. Uh, again, future podcasts will have an actual discussion on that. So the next thing that you assess would be an assessment of their activities of daily living. Okay? And this would be washing, dressing assessment, you can have toileting assessment, functional mobility assessment, feeding assessment, meal preparation assessment. So they're ADLs. Okay? What were they doing before? How are they doing things now? Okay? The ADL assessment. Okay, if you're working in a stroke unit or hand unit, usually it's almost unavoidable to put this thing down. You know, the upper limb sensory motor assessment. Okay, because we have an impression that the upper limb belongs to us, but it can also just fall under the category of sensory perceptual motor and cognitive assessment because the movement of the arm will fall on the motor and the sensory component assessment. Okay, and then you can have a seating assessment. Yes, you can have that positioning and seating assessment. And then you can also have environmental assessment. And you can have the psychosocial assessment as well. So those are the 10 items of assessment that you can do because I don't think you're doing anything else apart from any of those things. Okay, right. And then... Sometimes you will have sessions that is taking a lot of your time and you think it's worthless. You think it's non-face-to-face. But in fact, it is very essential. It's part of what you do because you'll be identifying the goals and the treatment and you'll be planning these things. And without this, you know, you cannot move forward. And this is a part where it's called problem identification, the goal setting, and discharge planning. Okay? And you can do this either with the patient or with their families or you can do this with the relevant members of the multidisciplinary team. Remember, all of those corridor conversations, you can actually put those down because as part of your job, obviously, patient-related, patient-specific, so anything about their holidays, exclude that, okay? So the next thing would be the intervention Okay, and it's just 10 items as well. So what you treat and what you intervene on will be the ones that you have assessed on. Okay, and this would mean you can have ADL retraining. You can have sensory, perceptual, cognitive motor retraining. You can have splint fabrication. You can have environmental modification. So if you have advised a few movement here and there of the furniture, if you've raised them up, put some grab rails, so that would be an environmental modification. You can have equipment provision activities. Okay, 
So if you're in the hospital and you ordered some uh, adaptive aids, so that is an equipment provision because these equipments are all adaptive aids which falls on the category of adaptive uh, uh, modify intervention. Okay, you can charge for an intervention called education. Okay, so if you advise the patient about something, you guide them about something, you signposted them, that falls on the education. Okay, and then because we are on, you know, an area that we are responsible for as well is the person's affect, emotion, and spirituality, core values, then you can have psychosocial and well-being support intervention. So you can have that and the referral to other services. Okay, why is it important that you put that as an intervention? Because if you look at on my previous podcast uh, called the right, uh, the, the the ramps intervention, when you refer to others, you are optimizing the chances for improvement, and that chance is called a supportive intervention. So you make that referral, okay? So that referral is also part of the intervention. So what I said. Is it really something new? You know, the core input that I was talking about. Is it really something new? Well, if you look at some of the, the oh, uh, 2016 issue of the OT News, I came across this, and this is a long time ago now, 2016. But it will come over and over, you know. Uh, there is an OT who is an OT uh, clinical lead complex conditions for one of the hospitals, so from uh, Bart's health department. She wrote down an article, so it's Claire Rutherford, okay? So, what do you call that? Shout shout out, you know. Hello, Claire Rutherford. So, this is, you know, quoting your article. And she uh, spoke about an article. She made an article talking about the brand recognition, removing blocks, and developing practice. And in this article, she spoke about the actual like brand recognition for OT. She spoke about the USP or the unique selling point or she's spoken about the need for model of practice and the and she spoke about the core business statement of the uh, service as well. So how did I use this core input? Yeah. Um, this core input, so because I know what the input is and what our service's input would be. So there was at one point where I was working in one trust. Obviously, I don't have to disclose the name because this is all confidential and private. Um, knowing all of those areas, okay, so I have assessed and I have reviewed the service and I was able to find out and I was able to establish at that point that the team that I was working with or um, the, uh, the, the, you know, the team I, I was with um, were conducting more of the uh, uh, assessment. There's a lot of efforts in the goal and discharge planning, which is 247. So the assessment was 510 episodes of assessment. Goal and discharge planning, which is 247. And then the intervention was only 153 types of intervention. So you remember those 10 interventions, only 153 for that month. There was monitoring. So the total activities for the service was overall, if you know what you do, you can quote down 
okay? Rather than the face-to-face, rather than the new patients, and rather than the time, you are now putting a quality on a content on what that time was allocated to. So for that particular service, the total activities were 955, okay? And uh, so I've seen that. We've reviewed that. I showed that to the team, okay? And this is it. This is where we are. This is what we do, okay? Maybe there is a need to improve because our intervention is lesser, but the goal and discharge planning was more, okay? And we are in a rehab facility at the time. So there has to be a lot of face-to-face input. So after a month or so, we came back to look into our activities again using the same type of uh, method, this is the same method of reviewing. And this time around, uh, you know, I, the screening was the same, okay? But then the assessment has come down to 465 from 510 to 465. The goal setting and the discharge planning came down from 247 to 139, which is there's a decrease of 43%. Okay? And then the intervention from 153, it went up to 338 episodes, which is an increase of 121%. And then the monitoring, there is a more, uh, just an increase of 9% on that from 33 episodes to 36 episodes. And then the total activities for that particular month, you know, on the month of review, it just changed from 955 to 978, which is an increase of 2.4%. How is that? 2.7% of improvement and increase of uh, effectiveness. And I can tell as a team lead at the time, I can tell that I'm proud to say that the intervention that we have delivered is actually, has actually improved. Yeah. By 121%. Okay. So, um, how do we cost for the input then? So, let's, how do we translate this? You know, all these improvements. Yes. So what? Okay. So, the next question is, So what? So remember, now this is a little bit delicate, okay? I need you to to, to pay attention because I need to concentrate too. (laughs) So how do we compute for the cost of the input? Okay, so it's simple. So the cost of the salary of the staff, okay, and you divide that by the total activities that are provided by the the staff is actually, that would equate to the cost of individual input. You just average it, okay? So for for the first point where we did the assessment, service review and assessment, okay? So the cost of the staff overall in terms of the payment, and this was just the the the, the net pay, okay? Um, because I was not privy to the actual cost of it at the time, okay? It belongs to the costing department. These are all, you know, uh, financing and finances and you know a need to know you're not where I wasn't important enough but from the cost of the staff there was me a band seven a band six and there are fives I think there were three staffs in a band four you know so overall per month the cost of the uh, the net cost of the staff was eight thousand seven hundred thirty seven 
Now, divided by the total number of activities, on the first case, it was 955. So the overall cost for the initial service review was £9.15. In general, this is just an average, okay? So meaning every time an OT came in to see the person, I've done an initial assessment, that's £9.15. And I have done some cognitive assessment, that's £9.15. Goal and discharge planning, £9.15. Yeah? So that was the cost of that. Okay. Now, in terms of the when we had the service review, so that's the same cost, 8737 for the cost of the salary. But then our input has actually improved. It's increased to 978 input overall. So that means if you divide that, the actual cost of the individual session then became £8.93. Yeah? So there is a 22p discount for every effort, for every input. So that's 2.7% of savings, which is not bad. It's not big, but it's not bad. So what does that mean then? What does the 2.7% mean? So if you add that in, 2.7% of the 8,737, Okay, per month, the OT service was able to save two hundred fifteen pounds. Yeah. Now, in a year, that would have been two thousand five hundred eighty-one pounds. All right. Now, in ten years, that would have been twenty-five thousand eight hundred ten pounds. So. That amount of savings would have costed a another staff, yeah, a savings that could have been invested to pay for another staff of twenty five thousand. Who whose pay would fall under the twenty five category? So you see, there you go. So let us sum things up, guys. To sum up, monitoring the core input can be used to improve, develop, and maintain the service quality. Okay, Recording the core input, though, entails a clear knowledge of the service that we deliver. Knowing the core input, knowing the core input makes us more transparent to any inquiring body or to any service user. Okay? And then the financial efficiency and financial impact can then be easily be measured when you know what this core input is. But it calls for a very specific method of documentation, which I will be discussing at some point. Okay, so that is called a uh, uh, principle based documentation, which will be out in this lines of podcast that I will be doing. So there you go, guys. Um, that is my discussion about our need to uh, define our core input. Why is it important for us to know what our core input is and how we can use it to promote our service and how we can use it to review the service as well. So our core input, defining our core input is 
special and it's really important. So that's why I call it the COIN. Core input stands for COIN. So it's called the COIN collection tool. You know, when you collect it every month, that is very nice. So um, you can listen to this podcast in rss.com. I believe you can listen to this podcast as well in Amazon Music. And uh, there is this big, very, very popular one, uh, the, 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 the downstreaming, uh, the, the streaming platform, um, which I could not get from the top of my head. But I'm sure you had it. It's very popular. Uh, and it's called OT Conversations, guys. Um, just uh, if you learned anything from this, pass it on to others. Talk about it. Grow together. Uh, and just remember, anything you do, matters and has an outcome until next time bye